0: Hey, folks! Greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. I'm your host Paul Spain, and joining me is Bill Bennett. How are you today, Bill? Good here in the North Shore in the sun. Very nice, very nice. Uh, you're uh, obviously uh, surviving, uh, surviving things. Uh, you're part of the, yeah. the the country. You were t- you were telling me before you just missed a haircut before lockdown, um, whereas oh, I yeah. I just had mine before lockdown. So uh, yours is a bit longer than mine.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's getting in my eyes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, funny. Well, plenty going on. It never, never seems to slow slow down much. Lots we can delve into uh, today. There's uh, certainly some moves with some of our local uh, tech firms that are that are interesting to look at. Ice House uh, raised quite a bit of money for um, one of their, uh, their their growth fund, their IBX Growth Fund. I want to chat to you a little bit about something you mentioned to me earlier around uh, New Zealand's uh, internet. Uh, data usage being very close to the top of the stack um, globally, which is is an int- it sounds like we've maybe got uh, got the bronze medal for that. Um, but on a global basis, that's uh, um, that's fascinating. So that that's a good one. I'm keen to delve into uh there's private uh, miq and what that maybe might do for uh, for some of our uh, uh our tech companies so uh suri and taylor's been uh, been given the the rubber stamp on that and of course um a lot going on in the telco world and um there's a possibility of a uh, of a merger there so uh that's uh, that's a pretty big deal so we'll come to that and and apple are, uh, are back in the news for a couple of reasons so uh we will we'll be keen to chat about that one but um first up Crossware. now this is an auckland based software company and in fact my team at gorilla i recall having uh having interacted uh with them um probably some years back uh, because of their uh their email uh, signature software I'm sure you've seen the uh, seen a little bit of this news, Bill. We don't yeah. know too many details about the sort of the size of the acquisition, do we?
1: No, we never do. I mean, they're always quiet about it, but often that comes out later when there's some uh, reporting, you know, financial reporting down the road. Um, usually, the parent company has to say how much they bought it to, to their shareholders and so on, and the news will come out then. Uh, Crossware's it's an interesting business because it's the kind of business which in effect, it has kind of been created out of almost nothing. I mean, it's almost out of fresh air in that they managed to um, turn the, the signatures that people put at the bottom of their emails into dollars. Um, and, and in some cases, they can use that space as um, advertising space and you can sell it and get a revenue that I would imagine that, you know, you're really talking pennies if you're doing that. But what a lot of companies are doing is they're managing their own sort of imaging, marketing and so on through the messages that they can put in their, um, in their um, signatures and they can measure how that's responded to. And um, it clearly works because the, you know, the, they have a viable business that's doing well and has and been snapped up by overseas buyers. So um, obviously there's a market in that, but it's the sort of thing that, you know, in effect has been, it's been created out of thin air
0: yeah look i mean they've been they've been around a few years um i think that um yeah there's there's obviously something in their in their offering that has uh has resonated and i think that that's you know probably been when i recall that we looked at it i don't recall hearing a story about you know any sort of Advertising and email signatures, which is sort of sort of what we've you know what we've what we've read about uh, here. Yeah. Apparently, they have about ten percent of the global market for email uh, signature services. Now, yeah, I was very interested to you know to see their their offering because they were a local company. I've been aware of their name probably before I knew they were local. Um, in our particular case. I think they didn't they didn't seem like quite the right um, fit for uh, you know for my firm and uh, and for our clients. So you know we, we ended up with another product. Um, but 10% is uh, you know that's a that's a pretty good chunk. And I would imagine this is going to be growing market unless Microsoft, uh, you know builds in a better capability and google build in these sort of better capabilities around uh, email signatures within uh, within their platform which to a degree microsoft you know have se- stepped some things up a little bit but uh you know if you look at their own documentation around how to do uh automated sort of company-wide email signatures it's uh uh, it's pretty lacklustre. Let's uh, let's just leave, leave it at that. So that's why a lot of firms, you know, are paying, you know, a percentage on top of what they pay for their email services, a reasonable percentage, to to use a service like that, that like uh, CrossWare, uh, to manage them. So um, well done to them so for building guess, it I, and for the sale.
1: Yeah, my guess is that it would uh, fly beneath the radar of the likes of Google and, and Microsoft and um, almost to the point where it wouldn't be worth their while i mean the the, the revenue if if uh Crossfire is 10 percent of the market then i would imagine that you know google and microsoft probably spend more on employee drinks than they make from selling such a service
0: yeah yeah no you're, you're probably right on uh, on that one um i guess i would see it these days as it should actually be an essential um component of a platform like Microsoft's you know exchange yeah. online service which, which is you know part of the broader Microsoft 365 and you know in terms of from a from a um, yeah you know, num- number of perspectives having to go outside uh, to to do a tool like that you know it's not not as though we're you know we're back in the 90s and so on now that you know organizations have have you know a lot of people, uh, most organisations would want to, you know, standardise this, and you know, I think they're yeah. it's it's high time that they stepped up and uh, and delivered a capability. Um, that said, um, it's uh, it's good that uh, Crossware have ha- you know have been able to make that sale um, to um, you know to their, their Berlin uh, based um, buyer Ecomis. So um, yeah, well well done. Um, now into uh, other topics. Uh, keep, keeping it keeping it a bit local. Um, Vista Group have announced a move to uh, four and a half day working weeks with the introduction of uh, half day Fridays for uh, all staff. That sounds pretty uh, pretty enticing, doesn't it, Bill?
1: Well, yeah, but it's look. It makes a lot of sense for a company that's. I mean, they're in effect, they're a software business, and so they're employing people who are knowledge workers, who. Typically, don't sell their services by the hour. I mean, if you're repairing computers or fixing stuff, you know, like a, as a contractor, you would be charging by the hour. But if you're not charging by the hour, then really, what matters is your output. And if your output stays pretty much the same, on, I mean, if, you know, if you can if you can get five days' work done in four days or three days, then why should you be sitting around in the office just, you know, spending time there when, you know, if you're hitting target. I think it's 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 fine of course you've got to have some proper measures in place to make sure people are actually hitting targets but assuming they do they're growing ups so it's an industry where people have to take the responsibility for their own actions i think it's brilliant
0: yeah that's I mean it's, it's interesting because uh, you know Vista of course um, being you know, their, their clients being cinemas uh, around the world and they have a massive uh, massive uh, global uh, global market share. Their business has been hit very, very hard by you know COVID. Of course, so many cinemas uh, have have either closed permanently or, or been closed for a, a very large percentage of the last uh, last eighteen uh, months, and so you know that that's put them under uh, yeah fair fair bit of pressure there. Their, their share price, so I, I noticed recently, had started uh, uh, you know coming coming back up reasonably uh, reasonably strongly, um, but. Yeah, you have that. You probably, I I can imagine that they've had, uh, you know, a challenge there where there maybe hasn't been enough work for, um, maybe you know, well, if you're sitting in customer service and uh, you know nobody's able to use your software, then uh, things could be pretty quiet but i've also heard as i think we you know we all have around the um the tight uh, labor market here in new zealand and and in other countries for uh, you know for finding software developers and the like uh this is the sort of thing that's going to differentiate uh, vista group and no doubt help them uh, help them uh, attract uh, um you know a few people if you've only got to work 90 uh, percent of the time that you've got to work for uh, for other firms then um yeah, I mean that's definitely going to be uh, going to be pretty tempting to have every Friday afternoon off for the rest of your uh, your, your working life
1: or your working life within uh, within that organisation. I think I think one of the things about that the company is is that um, when cinemas come back, and we're assuming they do come back in some form, um, there's almost certainly going to be a greater push to automate the business and vista's nicely placed for that so um so if they can just you know get over these tough times the other side of the hut the other side of the hill things look pretty bright i would imagine oh, i think we need to
0: um uh you know keep keep a lookout on uh, you know on those that are that are innovating and uh, and leading the way with with different approaches and um I the the coverage about it I, I read and I haven't um spoken to anyone at, at Vista, you know, um about this specifically, um said they're they're following a different approach to Andrew Barnes uh you know four four day uh week, which really works to measure and and squeeze five days work into four days um just by you know by by bumping up the, the productivity and uh, and focus whereas they're just saying here look there's no strings attached uh, Friday afternoons off for um, you know going forward so yeah there will be different approaches and uh, and different things that we'll uh, we'll learn but yeah no I think I think exciting to see and we'll we'll certainly keep monitoring and, and talking about some of these different uh, trends that are that are coming through. But I think there's plenty, plenty of upside uh, to it if you can make it work. Now onto Rocket Lab. They've been out uh, spending a little bit of their, uh, their their newfound wealth. Of course, they've listed in the US on the uh, on the Nasdaq there through uh, through one of these. Um, You know, SPAC listings, as they call them. Um, And they've acquired a company called Advanced uh, Solutions Inc. uh, for around uh, 40 million uh, US dollars, potentially going up to uh, 45.5 million. And this is a company whose focus is on spaceflight software and mission simulation. Which sounds uh, sounds pretty cool, and it's nice to see uh, you know Rocket Lab sort of broadening out uh, their uh, their capabilities and and being in a position where they can uh, you know they can delve dive into their pockets and they've got the funds to uh, to make the odd acquisition.
1: It also uh, positions uh, Rocket Labs more as a tech company. I mean, y- y- arguably, I mean, you know. To say rockets don't involve tech is ridiculous, but it's not a tech company in the sense that we when we usually use the term um, to launch rockets. But you know, getting into this side of things, then very then it very much does put them more into that tech space.
0: Look, yeah, I mean, certainly, yeah, and the in the more uh, you know, traditional tech. I think anybody doing anything in the in the aerospace uh, field these days has got tech, and you know, you probably yeah. heard me argue before that uh, that I think it, you know that these days, it, you know. Every, every company, every business kind of you know falls tr- into into tech in some way because you you know if you, if your business isn't leveraging tech in, in some sort of smart way then uh, you're probably behind your you know your competitors uh, by a long shot so uh, yeah yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that was uh, that was that was interesting to see, and it's certainly not their their first acquisition. Um, and it seems to be part of this this move by uh, by Rocket Lab to sort of you know broaden out their offering. Yeah. So you know traditionally you you know you'd go to one company to do your launch and another company to build your satellite, and you know you get working with this whole you know array of firms. And uh, Rocket Rocket Lab's approach seems to be well. We are going to be very very uh, very simple to deal with. You can come to us and uh, and we'll do you know everything that you need in terms of uh, um, what what you want in, in space or you know being being quite broad in terms of their uh, their service provision, which
1: uh, uh, you know I All think makes sense, as, right? Or uh, well, you could look at it as vertical integration. You know, they're vertically integrating the parts of the spaceflight business, which is you know uh and that, and that's a trend that we've seen in other industries, so it makes a lot of sense
0: yeah, well, I think uh you know customers are uh, are looking for that uh simplicity and it makes it easier for them to do business with uh it It also uh helps protect them as as other companies make a successful uh, move you know in terms of competing with them and we're certainly seeing more. Uh, providers of uh, of launch services, you know, if you've got that kind of one company you can you can go to that's uh, that's got everything, then uh, that you know I think that's going to make their their relationships uh, stronger and uh, and and stickier. So uh, yeah, exciting to exciting to see. I just wish they'd rip that USA off the uh, off the back of their uh, branding um i think they still go under rocketlabusa.com don't they uh any anyway um there's uh that i think is the, the nature of uh working with uh, with nasa and and the u.s government is obviously some some elements uh there that they needed to address the Ice House. Now, look, they've been involved in so many of our tech companies over over such a uh, a long period. But I saw uh, there was uh, NBR. Um was uh, was was covering that this uh, this new uh, growth fund they've got the IVX uh, growth fund uh, has raised something between a hundred and hundred and ten million dollars, and of course m- most of their investments traditionally have been I think the the sort of seed investments. So you know very very early on to uh, to to get that initial start going. Um, but they haven't so much been involved in uh, in funding the growth of uh, of firms, whereas this uh, this fund is is about those sort of next next stages, and that's that's quite a chunk of money. But it, it's what we seem to uh, keep seeing is uh, is more and more money going you know becoming available to support our technology innovators and whether that's on, on things that are targeting the local market, but more often than not, um, you know, these are, these are entities that are, uh, you know, going out and growing New Zealand's export, uh, uh, revenue, which is, is pretty pleasing. I would have thought.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Is the IPX, um, uh, fund a, a specific industry specific fund or is it general?
0: My, uh, my recollection of it is it's, as it's, uh, a general, a general fund, but it's it's focused on on the you know the growth sort of yeah. you know stage rather than the the seed stage.
1: Yeah, so it's it's at the point where um, where basically companies are ramping up, getting customers in at that stage. Yeah, um, and probably in a lot of cases, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, well, that's that's actually that's actually um, often the missing part of the equation in New Zealand. It's it's quite early. It's Often, relatively easy to get the first lot of money here in New Zealand. It's that stage which is the, which is usually the tough one. Mm, mm. Well, yeah, it's certainly yeah ple- pleasing to see that
0: picture uh, starting to change, Bill. Now, yeah. you were telling me that uh, you, you didn't quite put it like this, but uh, that New Zealand are the bronze medalists um, on the world stage when it comes to our uh, our internet usage per. Per head tell, tell us a little bit more
1: about that story bill okay so it's a story that was in uh, communications day a couple of days ago which is the australian telecommunications newsletter um, and it's basically looking at how the per capita use of data in countries around the world and they look at a lot of countries but of the countries that they've looked at in this list um new zealand is number three Behind the UK, UK is number one, and the USA is number two. UK per capita, in the UK people are downloading about four twenty giga- gigabytes of data um, a month. In America, it's just under four hundred, and um, in New Zealand, it's just under that. So we're probably about three sixty, three eighty uh, gigabytes a month. Um, after us, it's Iceland. Iceland, the almost they're a whisker behind us and then the next cap off the rank is australia then ireland and apart from um, iceland the thing that these countries all have in common is the english language um but what they don't have in common and i think this is the surprising thing about this uh, these statistics is there's no correlation between fiber uptake and the amount of data it's um, it is quite literally the English language is the thing. So, um, so, you know, Australia, for example, they don't have the same, the broadband network that we do. Um, and yet they're still, you know, very big users of usage. And this, this is what the report concludes. It says that fiber is not the driver of usage. Um, you know, the companies with the, the countries with the most developed fiber markets would be Japan, Spain, and Portugal, actually quite a long way down the list. But then, you know, part of that is because there's not a lot of um, streaming content necessarily for those countries. You know, we have a much bigger uh, library of streaming content, and it's but it's it's not just video; it's games as well. That 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 um, that tailing off that usage thing um, also relates to the amount of gaming. So obviously, um, New Zealanders, Palms, and um, Americans are very big on uh, using gaming online as well. So. Um who knows uh, exactly what's going on, but what it does tell you is that the m- spending money on improving our broadband wasn't wasted. Yes, no, I
0: think um, that's that's played out rather well for New Zealand, and especially when we're uh, in c- scenarios like this which we we couldn't have necessarily predicted. Uh, but yeah, we, as we've seen more content move to uh, online, I you know I imagine, uh, you know, sports streaming. Those those countries where more of that is online. Um, that, that said, I used, you know you look at uh, look at the US where um, you know satellite is still uh, sorry um, cable is still you know very popular from a you know a, a TV uh, perspective and, and live sport. But uh, yeah, we're certainly and and some of these markets seeing a lot more go to uh, go to online. Um, yeah, big numbers, and it would have been certainly pretty uh, uh, hard to predict those sort of numbers, you know, going back to uh, the pre-fibre days to uh, imagine that we would need that sort of level um, at this point in time. But, of course, it's going to keep growing, isn't it? If you if you look out another 10 years, probably grow, um, you
1: know, exponentially again. And, and it, of course, it's surged in the last 18 months. I mean, one of the things I, I keep um, talking about where, wherever I um. Wherever I'm found, is just how probably 18 months ago now, when the world first went into lockdown, just about every aspect of digital usage just surged. It just it leapt forward by many years in the space of um, you know a few weeks, and the it didn't leap forward and plateau. It, it leapt forward and continued the upward rise and. That's still going on today. So we are, a, you know, we're a lot further forward than we would have been in terms of uptake and usage and so on um, than we would have been had there not been those lockdowns. I'm not saying, you know, the lockdowns were a good thing. They certainly were not, but, um, but you know, it has meant a huge uptake in, in,
0: in everything digital. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Now, um, another... And another couple of local things that I wanted to delve into. There's been a lot of discussion and and debate and frustration and so on around uh, the the MIQ uh, situation, you know, here in New Zealand, and you know what's what's the right approach? What about the, the technology pieces? And is it fair and, and appropriate? The I think the the exciting piece for uh, our tech sector. Uh, is that the government have, um, you know, agreed to go ahead uh, with, with trialling some, um, some sort of, you know, I guess, private um, MIQ um, trials. And uh, Sir and Taylor's plan, which was called uh, number 151 off the bench, um, has gained uh, specifically gained approval from uh, the Ministry of uh, Business and uh, Business Innovation and Employment. Um, it gives us a little bit of a, a look into uh, how that might uh, might play out. Now, you know, of course, Animation Research uh, had, or Surian Taylor from Anima, who who runs Animation Research, had highlighted that basically they were losing business because. Their people couldn't go offshore to uh, to do work because they would never know, you know, if and when they were able to get, get back exactly. We've got the flip side uh, where there are other companies who need to be able to bring experts into New Zealand and there was no way of doing so. So I, I think this has got to be a real positive thing for, uh, for the tech sector here in New Zealand. And, you know, I'm talking quite broadly and, you know, including the you know aerospace and and the like because you know otherwise there are there are scenarios where uh, companies just get uh get stuck and you know we don't want that we want as much going on locally as we can don't we bill
1: well we do we do but um the i think the concern is is um that what's the you know what's the criteria for being able to get a place in the in the business in the private one do you know is that
0: is that purely for tech people? Yeah, and look, I, I don't I don't know exactly what you know what approach yeah. that they've uh, they've taken. I think they were you know they were they were looking for uh, you know for companies to uh, to show interest and to uh, and to apply. WISC was one of the other companies um, you know who were doing the autonomous uh, air taxis in the South Island, and they said they were going to have to move some of their uh, their operation out of New Zealand. And off to Queensland because there were obviously some experts um, offshore, maybe in Queensland, uh, who they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have any chance of bringing here and back. Now that might be more complicated than just getting them across the line into New Zealand. It might also be about getting them back in the other direction. So, you know, these things aren't aren't necessarily super simple and and super cut and dried. Uh, but I think it's uh, it's you know it's good to see that it's been being given att- attention and um, you know we're we're moving forward.
1: Yeah, well, the main thing is is it expands the number of people that can come in. I think that's that's yeah you know, the, the good thing about it. And I, I guess if this is to, if this is taken up by companies bringing in employees, it takes pressure off the, um, the you know the the government standard MIQ service. So. Yeah, that, for that reason, it's good because there's just no way all the people that want to come back are going to be able to come back in in the next six months. It's just the queue is just too long. I think the queue's twenty thousand plus now, isn't
0: it? Yeah, I certainly haven't uh, haven't been applying for any travel. I'm, uh, I'm you know, it's no. kind of you look at it and you think, well, you know, could, could I justify doing anything? Well, uh, no, I no. think there's, <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, you know uh many more people uh, above me in terms of a, of a need so uh, no hurry and uh, I quite like staying reasonably safe which we uh, which we have been here now let's get on to um, what I think is, is a you know is a pretty big topic um, you know this uh, potential merger between two degrees and an orcon now I was looking looking through the uh, the archives bill and um when i googled two degrees and uh, and orcon and your name yes. do you know what i
1: found bill yes that two degrees was going to buy orcon at one point
0: yeah, yeah well, so orcon. there was um you know coverage from uh oh how many years ago was it now there's maybe sort of you know seven, seven odd uh uh, yeah. seven or so years ago when, um, you know, Orcon was on the market. Of course, Orcon has been part of, well, I don't even know, well, it's it's now Orcon Group, um, but it was Vocus it was. and went through varying, you know, varying other uh, names. I've been right? part of Cordia
1: at one point, so. That's true, that yep. Means, yeah, well, yeah. look, or- Orcon now is the group name for all the Vocus companies, so that includes cool Plus, Slingshot, um the former fx networks um flip the budget brand and i can't remember what the name of their business for selling energy to broadband users is, but all those companies are um, are now branded as orcon and that's to differentiate it from focus which is the australian parent company which is which was bought um in in recent times um Orcon was heading for an IPO later this year. So was two degrees, but instead of that happening, they're now talking about a merger. It, it makes a lot of sense um, because there's the, the two are quite complementary in that um, Orcon's weakness is in mobile. It doesn't have a mobile offering. It has an MMVO agreement with, I think it's Spark, but those agreements in New Zealand are all of it. They're, they're yeah, vir, vir, they've so got good. a virtual network, effectively, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. But they're not; those arrangements are not as good as they are overseas, and it's something that our regulator has chosen not to really get heavily involved in. And I, and I, I know for a fact that people at Orcon haven't been happy about the arrangement and, in effect, being locked out of the mobile market. Um, meanwhile, Two Degrees wants to bulk up. Um, for all kinds of reasons, because you know, bulking up, there are economies of scale, there's a lot of cost that can be taken out of the two merge. The the, the real, the really important area for these two companies is in broadband. Um, at the moment, Spark is number one, Vodafone is number two, and um, Orcon and Two Degrees are numbers three and four. Added together, they become a lot closer to the size of. Um, Vodafone and Spark, Um, in the mobile space, it doesn't really change the market dynamics because um, two degrees is half the size of both. Vodafone and Spark are roughly the same size on about 40% market share, and um, two degrees is on about 20%. And the the rest is just rats and mice, and it's literally rats and mice. It's not even 1% of the market, it's made up of the others. Um, So it doesn't really, move the dial in the in the mobile market except that it means that um two degrees will have a lot more customers to offer bundled deals to bundling mobile and broadband so but it but it will reset the broadband market in in terms of the top end of the market will it reduce competition taking a player out it's debatable um some people say that it will actually improve competition because it means that the third player will be better placed to compete with Vodafone and Spark. Well, yes, that's possibly true, but then it makes life a lot harder for the other 80 or so internet service providers who are, you know, the the minnows in the market will be even further shut out. And it's quite likely that the, the three big ones will just be able to take market share from the small ones. So I'm not sure. I, I think the jury's out on whether it actually helps broadband competition, but it will certainly help uh, mobile competition. And it certainly helps competition across the telco sector in general to um, to have, you know, three players uh, buying for um, the market rather than two.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of – I'm curious how how it plays out. Uh, I definitely think there's, there's some – um yeah some reasonably good dynamics that go on in the market with the with the mix that we have at the moment um yeah i i i think it's um yeah it it could be uh negative in some ways it it could be it could be positive um hmm, i'm uh yeah i'm not 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 sure i can uh I can predict actually how that one's going to uh, going to play out, and and whether the um you know whether it would just get. I mean, I can't see it not getting approved. I you know I don't no, think it's something up. that that would have a, a huge major impact. Um, but it does create a I'll big see. chasm between the, the the big players and as you say
1: the 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 minnows. So yeah, I mean, I mean, basically, it's, it takes out the second tier of players. Um, and, and puts them into the top tier. Um, yeah, I think, I think uh, there's some cost savings that the two can achieve by working together. So there's, there's a little bit more, it's not going to change prices. I, I can't see um, anything happening to change uh, prices. There's, there's not really much room to move on broadband prices as it is. Um, there's stuff or room to move on mobile prices. And if anything, the mobile companies is so they've, they've got this, they've still got a lot of spend coming up, moving up to 5G. And 2Degrees um, is, is on its 5G project now. They're, they're actually building 5G towers as we talk, but it's not going to be switched on, I think for another month or two. Um, there's a lot of cost in there and that's going to be, a, and it's a kind of transitional period for the industry too, where some some dynamics of competition can change as we, Shift to five G, but uh, no, I, I think the um, I think the real the real change is going to be in that broadband sector, and it's just going to be that we're going to have three big players. One of the things about um, Orcom strategy in broadband is it's got multiple brands. So if you go to Spark or Vodafone or Two Degrees, you, you know Spark has Skinny and um, and Big Pipe, but in general, you're with Spark, Vodafone, or Two Degrees. With Orcon, you're with Orcon, Cool Plus, Slingshot, Flip, um, Stuff Fiber, um, Sky is actually run by Orcon. It's a uh, it's a uh, whole it's kind of a, it's not a wholesale operation, but it's you know administered by Orcon on their behalf. So Orcon's strategy is to have multiple brands, each targeting different niches, um, and I I'd imagine that were this to go through, that Two Degrees would become another broadband brand um, in, in, in in that stable. Um, but no, in, in general, the, 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 the big change is going to be in that broadband space. The other thing is, is that, um, the other thing we haven't talked about is that Two Degrees, over the last five years, Two Degrees has been ramping up its effort to attract the business and enterprise market. Oh, but yes, definitely. Yeah, but it was always coming from behind in that space, whereas Vocus as was now, now Orcon has been very strong in that area in the past and and, um, still has quite a lot of strength in the area. So that will really boost two degrees, um, enterprise and business portfolio products and services. And that's, that's, that's going to really add some competition into that market. And quite frankly, that's where some competition is needed in New Zealand marketplace.
0: Yeah, um, I guess there there is a there's a little bit of risk that we see you know prices going going up a little bit, and you know there are other sort of pressures going on in the market, um, but it's. Um, it's unlikely we're going to we're going to see anything dramatic in in that direction. Um, seems very unlikely. We've got a good you know good level of competition. Um, it's you know um, increasingly there's you know we've now got that competition between the sort of the you know fixed mobile broadband you know ultra fast broadband the, you know the fibre and now of course you know, a number of options coming in from a, a satellite perspective. So, you know, I think, I think everyone's going to get kept on their, kept on their toes for the foreseeable
1: oh. future, right? Uh, yeah, and I, I remember a couple of years ago now, I, um, I, had a, I was talking to um, Jason Paris, and he said something which um, is still true today, and that is is that, um, to a degree, the telco sector has competed all the profits out of the market. So they're, they're not hugely profitable companies. I mean, if you compare um, their gross margins of New Zealand's telcos with, you know, other companies, which I mean, think, say for example, supermarkets where there's two chains, the, um, you know, the supermarkets uh, are reaping much, much better margins out of it being a limited market than the telcos are out of it being. And, and, and the reason that is in the telco space is because it is a three cornered race. If it's a two cornered race, it's easy for the two big ones to, you know, to settle down and not compete too much and just move into this, like, olig- oligarchy-type position. Uh, but with with a third one snapping at their heels, that keeps keeps everyone honest, keeps everyone hungry. Yeah, I'm not, uh, not quite sure that, uh, you
0: know... Chris Quinn would agree with you on the uh, the, the fat margins there, based on what, what we heard from the media uh, recently. But you know, well, the, you're definitely going to get a different <laughs> a different scenario, right? Where where you've got yeah. you know a lot of competition in the telco market. And um, and yeah, basically a, a duopoly in the uh, in the supermarket market. Um, there, I, there 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 are some interesting opportunities, uh, you know, looking at the supermarkets uh, because we've got some of these new players who have come along, who are you know maybe wholesalers and distributors that are now you know doing di- direct uh, you know food okay. deliveries to people's homes. So you've had these new players come into the market that there is a potential for, um, you know, some scale to come, uh, to come along that way, uh, over, over time. So I'm kind of curious how that will play out. Um, and, and of course, well, there are, well, there are other well, things coming the into the market. People,
1: one of the players in that is Tex Edwards. Who's the guy who set up two degrees. He's yes, actually, yes. He's, he's actually hovering around in the back of that area. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I know techs reasonably well, and he knows where there are margins that can be eroded. I mean, that's that's what he's that's that's his thing. That's that's what he knows. So um, yeah, there could be something coming, but I I, I think it's more likely that we're going to get a disruption in the way that um, companies like Amazon have upset the the food market in um, in northern you know, in North America and in Europe. So I think that's probably more where it's gonna come from. And as you say, it's gonna be that direct direct delivery model. Yes,
0: and um and we do have one of the US players uh in the process of um you know setting up uh, physically here uh in New Zealand as well, don't we? Um Yeah. Costco. That's it, Costco. Yeah. yeah. Now yeah. um uh, before we before we wrap up, um Apple in the news again uh, on on two fronts. One, they have announced their uh, their Unleashed event uh, next week, and I you know, saw some um, some alert come through from them on um, on that basis. Um, what are they calling it? Join us for a special Apple event for New Zealand. It's nineteenth of October, uh, six AM New Zealand oh, time. So. Um, slightly, almost respectable hour. Um, yeah. there, there's been a, you know, a chunk of talk that this was coming up, and you know, I think Apple had, Apple had given indications of it. Uh, seems to be a big expectation on, uh, um, you know, Apple Silicon inside uh, new Macs. So uh, that might be the the M1 X is one uh, one name that's been suggested for that uh, newer. Um, more powerful chip, and uh, that uh, that w- if if it is uh, what is being predicted, will um, put Apple in a very very strong position with their uh, their newest MacBooks, and you know potentially a, a Mac Mac Mini coming through there as well. Um, their their new chips are you know are blazing fast, and use a tiny amount of power. They're impressive, aren't they?
1: I've got a M um, one. MacBook Air sitting on my desk, and I, the, I, I think there's one Windows PC that I've had in my office that can that is comparable with I mean, remember that the MacBook Air used to be like a slow, low-end Mac, right? Um, the only machine which has come close is the, the ThinkPad P fourteen that I was talking about, the um, workstation class Think uh, ThinkPad. That's the only Windows machine I've seen in the last year that performs as well as the um, uh, the MacBook Air, and even then, you know, it's well, it does perform better because of the because it's got yeah. better graphics. Yeah. But um, yeah. um, so if Apple can do something like that with MacBook Pro, uh, you know, get that same kind of performance bump that they got with the uh, with the uh, MacBook Air then it's going to be hard for anyone to catch them and I, I noticed um i saw something i don't have it to handle unfortunately i saw something flip past me earlier when i was reading the news feeds earlier today so i think apple's market share in the in um, um, the laptop market is up something like 16 percent from where it was a year ago so it's so apple is definitely zooming up the market there
0: yeah it's um i think it's going to be really interesting to see how how things you know play out i think you know apple uh you know, it was a few years ago i remember really slating apple you know on on the podcast uh they weren't refreshing their devices regularly so you know if you had bought into the mac e- ecosystem uh and you needed to buy a new device uh there might not have been a replacement model and and you know quite a number of cases you know there, there was keyboards <laughs> the keyboards
1: oh my word
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> there, there was there you know there was a lot you know not not to like but i think you know right now apple are apple are doing really really strongly um one gadget that just arrived i will mention um logitech have um have you know over the years sent me through a few keyboards over the years and Initially, I didn't really pay too much attention, but one of the things that I've noticed is these um, some of their Bluetooth keyboards that allow you to support multiple devices are very, very handy. So the latest one they've sent is called the um, MX Keys Mini, and they've got two variations. They've got the mini one and the full, full-blown one. Um, they're they're Bluetooth um, based by default, but I think they have a um, RF mode as well. So there's going to be a dongle that you can uh, you can use if you're using a docking station. Why this matters to me is because I'm moving around from multiple machines. So at the moment, I'm running off a MacBook Pro. I will have a Windows device um, at my desk some days. And from time to time, I might even want to connect, um, you know, a, a, a smartphone uh, or a tablet. And these, you know, the, the MX keys and some of their other products, the one that I use at my office, allow you to basically, you know, flip between three different Bluetooth yeah. connections um, and the dual Bluetooth and RF is superb so if you're using a docking uh, docking station and i'm using a uh, Philips docking monitor here at home um, if i can put a dongle into that and then have that link up to the the keyboard and, you know keyboard and mouse it um, doesn't matter whether i plug in a mac or a windows or whatever um, because it's going through that uh, that docking uh, mechanism um, so it's, it's really really nice and i just haven't seen uh, and maybe I've missed it, but I haven't seen Microsoft taking the same approach. And it used to be that it was Microsoft or Logitech. They were both quite, you know, in many ways quite similar with their offerings. I'm not saying all the Microsoft stuff is rubbish because the other keyboard I've got is um, a Microsoft um, Designer keyboard that I've been um, using. And I, you know, I, I think that's a, a pretty slick keyboard and Microsoft Designer mouse. And those, that's really, you know, very nice. You know stylistically and it and it works well but to switch between my mac and windows because those are bluetooth i basically would have to repair them every single time so that doesn't really work i had a, a
1: an older earlier generation logitech keyboard which had a, a little dial on the back and you could dial that you could flick the dial to move from is, does that work that same way yeah same same approach yeah very very handy yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's brilliant yeah so
0: um, I mean, it's great that Logitech are doing it. I hope the yeah, the competition uh, <laughs> wakes up a little bit. But they basically don't. I from from what I've noticed anyway. I know there are other brands doing doing things, but they're really uh, you know Logitech. I think um, you know uh, uh, alongside Microsoft. Uh, you know. They're they're it. It's uh, they're the two big players in, uh, uh, in keyboards and keyboards and mice. You know, of course, if you're um, you know purely in the Apple ecosystem, then um, you know App- Apple have their own products in that space as well. Um, but yeah, ple- pleasing to see a, a, a bit of innovation there and uh, and you know products that work uh, uh, work very well. That probably wraps us up for for this week. Was there anything uh, anything else you wanted to uh, to add in, Bill? No, no, I think that's it. Um, Windows 11, of course, has sort of, you know, started uh, started rolling out. Um, have you uh, had, a, had a chance to have much of a look at uh, 11 yet with all the things you've no. got on your plate?
1: No, I was really disappointed that the, um, the the ThinkPad came and went just before the possibility of upgrading it to 11. I would have liked to have had that round a few more days to, to give 11 a try. Um, I've got I've got a Windows machine sitting here, but I don't think I can upgrade that. So I'm um, the next next job I've got to do really is to make sure I get myself a Windows machine in for testing. If you work for one of those companies and you're watching the podcast, get in touch. Definitely, definitely.
0: Well, um, yeah, I've got, um, you know, I've got Windows 11 on one of, one of my uh, Windows uh, laptops uh, that's, uh, uh around uh around here um that one's had uh, beta on it that's um a huawei um windows laptop and that's uh, that's run the uh, the beta or the preview um you know version quite well um, we've got a gaming machine in the house um, that there is uh, much demand from my son to to have Windows 11 on. and uh, the the install uh, has not been successful. So uh, it gets kind of partway and then it decides to roll itself, roll itself back. And yeah, the uh the 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 tech team at Gorilla have been reasonably busy on other things. So I haven't uh, uh haven't been asking, putting my hand up for any help on that one. But uh there, there do seem to be a mix of people, you know, when you look online as always that are uh uh, getting stuck with varying uh, glitches with uh, with the Windows 11 upgrades, um, so uh, yeah. But we will we will see a lot more of that. And of course, there has been plenty of uh, you know plenty of opportunity to uh, to try Windows 11 early for those that uh, those that, that wish to. Uh, you know, I guess in a you know somewhat similar way, we you know Apple have, have been opening up those sort of opportunities and um, you know in recent years to to try things early. So um,
1: yeah. Well, well, actually, I. I Run Windows on my Mac as well. I have a I have a Parallels so that I can run Windows and uh, Mac OS um, basically, so that I can look at software. But I still want to sit. I still want to get my hands on a, a, a new Windows 11 machine. Yeah, well, that gets, it does get a little bit
0: harder trying to uh, do that as we move into these M1, uh, you know, based uh, base Macs. And uh, you know, I have have heard of some, you know, emulation of the ARM based version of Windows there, but that that may not be a, you know, necessarily be an ongoing uh, option. So we'll have to see how that uh, that plays out as uh, as the world changes a little bit. Hmm. all right well thanks uh thanks bill it's been great to uh catch up and thanks for uh for joining the new zealand tech podcast this week where should people uh look to keep up to date with um you know your some of your, your new
1: stories and your uh um, your, your pieces on twitter bill bennett nz two n's two t's and uh bill on the on the website um i've just Rebooted a weekly telecommunications newsletter, which is also on the site, published every Friday. And there's there's a couple. There's a, they're they're really early trial runs on the site at the moment, but that's that started in earnest now. Fantastic. Um, yeah, and that's that's my project for the next few months. I think. Excellent,
0: excellent. I will look uh, look look forward to uh, reading that. Thank you, Bill. And of course, uh, folks can uh, follow. Uh, New Zealand Tech Podcast across the varying sort of social platforms, um, and visit us at nztechpodcast.com. We just for there were a few comments coming through because as, as well as you know recording this for our audio listeners, which is you know the the, the bulk of uh, our audience, uh, there's always a few people that jump in and uh, and and, uh, and catch the live streams. Um, so most weeks it's a Tuesday afternoon. Sometimes it varies. This week uh, we're we're a Wednesday. Um, between about four PM and uh, and five PM, um, but to uh, to to see those live streams um, pop up in your feed, um, the recommendation would be to just follow us on the platforms you use. So um, we we will tend to stream on uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube and uh, i think we've made it back onto uh, onto twitter i'm not quite sure exactly how uh, all the technicalities of how that plays out since they've ditched um, periscope and built a sort of a new api for you know getting things uh, streaming onto twitter but uh, i think that that is working at least uh, at least partially Uh, so um, yeah feel free to find us across any of those platforms all right, well, that, that's us for this week. A big thank you to our, uh, our show partners who make the New Zealand uh, Tech Podcast uh, possible. Um, so, yeah, thank you to um, Umbrella Connect, uh, Gorilla, uh, Vodafone, Vocus, Spark, and, uh, and HP. All right, thanks, everyone. Catch you next week.